You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So next week, I'll be off next week. Next week is our school's midwinter break, and we're looking on going up north where we hope and pray there is snow. See, actually, here in the amazing city of Detroit or Royal Oak or wherever our studio is, um, it's raining outside. We are towards the end of January. It is almost 40 degrees out, and it is raining. That is ridiculous. We live in Michigan because we want snow. But, but, it's like a line. When you go, there's really a few lines, but you go about two hours um, there's an area called West Branch. It seems that's the line, and they are getting snow. Actually, today, they're supposed to be getting five to six inches of snow. Further north towards Charlevoix, also six-plus inches of snow. And then hopefully, it's going to be cold now. The weather will stay cool, so I'm going to worry about the snow melting. But I really need, over the weekend, and Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, hopefully they're supposed to have another snowstorm up north. And if we can get that to like 12, 13 inches, then I can take my kids snowmobiling. And if not, we will do tubing and we'll do other stuff and we'll enjoy and we'll have fun and we'll play games. We even just got, because um, somebody told me about this, um, I play this game Katara with my kids. It's one of these, uh, I guess you're supposed to be building your farms or your villages and your cities and your roads. And it's a great game, but I got four kids who want to play and it's a four-person game and I like to play with them. So I just ordered... The, um, the um, I forgot what they call it, uh, the addition. So you can make it into a, you got to make the board bigger. So it'll make it into like a five or six person game. And we are looking forward. And even though my wife could be the sixth player, this is not her kind of game. She'll play other stuff with us. But we are really looking forward. We are excited. And now that we see snow is on the horizon, so we can do snow stuff while the rest of you can just go sit in the sun in Florida and, and Arizona, and I don't know why you'd want to do something like that when you could do snow stuff. But in any case, so in the last show, um, I left us with a very, very important question. I want to answer that question before we get into, into stuff we have prepared for, for the show today. I asked you, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Again, I'm going to do the question rather quickly because we spent a lot of time at the end of the last show getting into the question but now we get to the answer. Um, the question was, why did Moses think that Pharaoh would let the Jewish people go just because he asks? Like, that's ridiculous. Pharaoh has millions of slaves. Why, in his wildest imagination, would the Pharaoh say, oh, Moses, since you asked me nicely, I'm going to let the Jewish people go? That's ridiculous. Right, what is Moses thinking? So, very, very important answer. And that is that... God is going to bring the ten plagues. He's going to punish the Pharaoh. The Jewish people are going to take lots of gold and silver 
with them out of Egypt and by the by the Red Sea, they're gonna by the crossing and take lots of more gold and silver. So even by Alexander, the uh, Egyptians come to Alexander and say, "Hey, Alexander, these Jews emptied out our country. They stole our money. We want our money back." So the Pharaoh could say that you have no right to punish me. Ten plagues? What are you out of your mind? God, you told Abraham that the Jewish people would be slaves in a land that's not theirs for 400 years. I'm just doing your work, God. You can't punish me. How could you punish me? You said you want someone to enslave the Jewish people. Pick me. I'm doing your work, God. You can't have any complaints. So that's all fine and dandy if you claim you're listening to God. So when God comes and says, let him go, you got to let him go. But if, you're, if all of a sudden your response to God's request of letting them go is never heard of him, I don't know what God you're talking about. Okay, then clearly you did not enslave the Jewish people because God said someone needs to enslave them. You enslave them for your own personal uh, benefit. <laughs> you enslave them for, for your own personal benefit. You're going to pay for that. Now, I imagine even if the Pharaoh would have said, like, I know that if God asks me to let the Jewish people out, I got to let. How do I know you represent God? Prove it to me. Even that response, the Pharaoh still has a claim. But Pharaoh says, never heard of God. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't know. You're going to find out. You're going to find out. And even after the first three plagues, and the purpose of the first three plagues was to show that there is a God, and now you let him out, I think still Pharaoh would have a claim. But after the first five plagues, that's it. It's all over. You have clearly demonstrated that the reason you enslaved the Jewish people was not because God said so, but because you wanted millions of slaves. Okay, for that you're going to pay. It's going to cost you. Before we, we move on with the program, of course, we always ask all my dedicated listeners, I know you guys love the show, and I do need your help. We got to get the show to spread. We got to take care of our in-house costs over here. So please go to my homepage, hit that donate button, leave a name. I'll give you a shout out, memory of, happy birthday, and in advance, of course, I do thank you. So today especially with this week's Torah portion, we started talking about it. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from the plagues. There's a lot of stuff to learn. So I would like my focus today to focus around, there's seven plagues in this week's Torah portion, and I would like to try to get through as many as I could, um, but not so much to get into the nitty-gritty details. We've done that in the past before, of what exactly is happening in the plague, but I really want to get into what, what am I learning? What can I take away? When I read, when I study about this plague, and what God did to the Egyptians, and it's very fun, and I teach it to my children, and they laugh, but, but what do I learn from this plague? What is everything teaching me? So let's start with blood. So what happens with blood? So Aaron's going to wave his stick over the river. He's going to hit the water, and the water will turn to blood. So the first thing we're going to learn is that the obvious question, why is Moses not hitting the river? 
So Moses not hitting the river because he owes a, a debt of gratitude to the river. It doesn't mean the river knows that Moses is being nice to it, and it doesn't matter in the end because the river has to turn to blood. But Moses, the person, is teaching us that if you owe gratitude, you as a person, what kind of person are you that you, if you can't show that you owe someone something a debt of gratitude? So that's even before we start. Moses is teaching us the importance of gratitude. Aaron has to do this plague and the next two plagues. So what happens? It's not food coloring. It's not that the river looks red. It's real blood. How do we know it's real blood? Because the fish die. So boy in my class asks me, what the fish do wrong? Why, why did the fish have to die? What did the fish do wrong? So it's a very good question. So the fish didn't do anything wrong. It, you don't understand what the purpose of the fish in this case are. The purpose of all animals is to serve people, but also to serve God. If the way the fish serve God is by dying, so that shows that it's not just magic, because magic would just be, would make it look red, but it wouldn't actually be blood, right? Fish can breathe in colored water, I think. But fish cannot breathe in blood, right? They, there's no oxygen to pull out. Their gills are not allowing the oxygen to go through and, uh, and, and pull out the oxygen. It's not happening. So the fish dying is their way of serving God, right? So we're all nice and animals and so cute. And I know my son has a fish tank in the basement and my wife has a goldfish on the counter. So such cutesy fish and so nice and whatever. Um, but the point is, it's not that I'm being cruel to animals. It's not, a, it's not a question of cruel to animals. It's a question of the animal has to serve God. This is how it will serve God by showing the Egyptians that, that, uh, that this is a miracle. This is not magic. Because once I can show you, and that's the purpose, by, by the way, the purpose of the first three plagues, and it should have been taken care of after the first plague, but again, the first plague is still easy enough for the Pharaoh to say that it's, uh, that it's uh, not real. It's just, uh, it's not real blood, it's just magic, and you just do magic better, right? But really, really, if you would have an open mind and an honest mind, and you look at this plague of blood, and you say, okay, the fish are dying, so it's not magic, it's a real miracle. There's been a real physical change to the water to turn into blood, so obviously there's a God, right? Right, so that should have covered everything, but the Pharaoh didn't want to, didn't want to go there. He wasn't interested. Now, it's interesting. Um, you were able, an Egyptian could buy water. In other words, for the Jews, it was all water. They're not suffering from the plague. The Jew will not suffer from the plague. Only the Egyptian will actually suffer from the plague. So the Jews became wealthy. They got money. They got paid. The Egyptians had to pay for it. But interesting enough, the pharaoh did not suffer from this plague. His palace had an unlimited amount of water. I'm sure he didn't share it with the common folk, because why would a king do that? But he had an unlimited amount of water. Why? 
So I know you've seen those studies. They come up in America once in a while. What is the cost in America to raise a child from birth through, I guess, college? I don't know if it's still 18. It's, I think it's up to 18 because if it included college, who knows what the number would be. And the numbers used to be in the two hundred thousand range, the two hundred fifty thousand dollar range, whatever the number is. Look, there's expenses, right? We got a house, we got a roof over our head, we got clothing, we got food, we have heat, we have electric, we have trips, we we have schooling. We, you know, the you run the gamut. Yeah, diapers. I mean, it depends on the age of the child, right? There's a lot of expenses. Children cost money. They're worth it, but children cost money. So since Pharaoh raised Moses, right? So God shows you also in this plague that he pays all debts. There's no such thing just because the Pharaoh has to suffer. But the fact of the matter is he raised Moses as a prince. And I'm sure raising a prince is way more expensive than raising a common person. So since the Pharaoh has to raise Moses, and he does, so God owes a debt to Pharaoh. God pays all his debts. There's no such thing as you were bad to me, you mistreated the Jewish people, now you got to be punished. Everything has a calculation. There's a, 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 an exact accounting, an exact calculation for everything. For everything. Okay, that's blood. Let's get into frogs. So Idea, frogs, oh, my class loves frogs. They pull out my frog puppet, they go wild. They just, we were singing a song, uh, a silly frog song in class today about the plagues, and they and I didn't even ask for this. It must be something they did in kindergarten or first grade. I don't know what. They are hopping around the room and jumping, and they are just living the play. They love it. It was like unbelievable how how animated. That's a really good word in this case. They were about this plague, but in any case. So in this play, what happens, um, according to the Medrash, one frog came out, and the Egyptian came, and they attacked it, and the frog exploded, and every time they tried to kill a frog, the frog multiplied. Or you could say teams of frogs came out, but again, still the same thing is brought down, that every time you tried to kill a frog, the frog doubled. So really, really, once you figure out that every time you hit a frog, it doubles, just stop. Egypt is a big country. Let a million frogs come out of the river. Let five million frogs come out. Just move away, take a trip for a couple days. The frogs will die. They're not going to survive that long, but, but even millions of frogs. The problem over here was it wasn't millions. It was just an overwhelming wave of frogs that flooded the whole country. But they only existed because the Egyptians kept trying to destroy them. And their brains could not figure out, stop trying to kill the frogs. Like, why can't anybody figure this out? So there's a fascinating answer, right? And as I, I tell you, my goal today is stuff we learn, stuff we learn from each plague. Stuff we learn, right? Right? What do we learn from each plague? So here we learn something fascinating. When a person gets angry, when a person gets angry, his brain turns off. Right? The brain completely shuts down. That's an important lesson, right? You know, it's something we get angry at sometimes. Get angry at the kids, get angry at the boss, get angry at the employee, 
get angry at the spouse, get angry at the parent. We're not all, we're not perfect. We, we do get angry. Things happen to set us off. What do you do when you get angry? So you could explode. And I assure you that whatever venom comes pouring out of your mouth, you're going to have a hard time getting it back. You got angry. And with anger, you say things that you regret, but now it's too late. So you got to learn from the frogs, right? Just pause. Just take one breath. Count to ten. Do something. Something to curb that anger. And again, if it's something that really has to be dealt with, ten seconds later you can also deal with it. But you're, you're going to be a different person. Right? If you can only deal with anger, you're getting nowhere. You've got to be able to deal with things in a cool, calm, collected manner. That's the first thing. That's the first thing you're going to learn from this plague. Um, the second, another thing you can learn from the frogs is so now the frogs are, are on the attack. They are just hopping through town. So close your front door. <laughs> close your front door. They're not going to bother you. How did the frogs manage to invade everywhere, everything? And it's not because they have hands to open the, the doorknobs. They didn't pile high up so somebody could pull down on the doorknob. That's ridiculous. They're frogs. They're not robots. So the answer is very interesting. Again, it says that part of the, part of the plague was that the soft frog could go through the hard wall. In other words, the wall became like water. So the frog went right, right through. Because if God wants to punish, you cannot stop it. Oh, I will hide behind a solid wall so I am protected. No, you're not. If God wants, you're protected. If God doesn't want, then the frog is going right through the wall. Right? But I think something even more important is uh, something we used to think about. Um, and I tell my class all the time, you get what you ask for. The Pharaoh calls Moses. He says, this plague is crazy. I'll let you go. I'll let you bring your sacrifices. Get rid of the frogs. Get rid of the frogs. As Moses says to Pharaoh, when would you like the frogs to go away? Now the, fire, the Pharaoh thinks, hmm, uh, I bet this Moses knows something. It's worth suffering another day to prove Moses wrong. Moses, I would like the frogs to leave not today, tomorrow. Moses says, no problem. You want tomorrow? Tomorrow it is. I'm going to pray today that the frogs should leave tomorrow. So Moses goes out and pray, and the next morning, there is silence. Because the frogs are dead. You ask for the frogs to, no more frogs? They're all dead. You got exactly what you asked for. You don't want to hear no more frogs? You ain't going to hear no more frogs. They're dead. Do you know what happens to dead frogs? Billions of dead frogs in a hot country like Egypt where the, um, the, the garbage companies are all on strike? No, that's not true. <laughs> the garbage trucks are not on strike. I try to say these things to my class. And they'll say, oh, they didn't have garbage men in those days. I said, why? No, 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 they, they didn't have garbage trucks. That would be one problem. But anyways, obviously you're going to have piles of frogs. The smell is incredibly horrible. So even when the plague is over, the plague is not over. 
And what's amazing is, and another important lesson, that people can be so stubborn. Now, sometimes there is a place to being stubborn. The Jewish people are called stubborn. There is a place to be stubborn. But here it was a different stubborn. You see, the Pharaoh asked for the plague to leave because he couldn't handle it. So there was a point where you begged Moses to get rid of the plague. Okay, very good. But now the plague is over, you're not letting the Jewish people go. But you can still smell the dead frogs. You know the plague. You, you, you can't forget the plague. The smell is everywhere. It's not like you did anything to get rid of the plague. So the very plague that you asked should end. And Moses ended it by making the frogs die. God ended it by making the frogs die. And you are so stubborn that even though, yeah, you said you're going to let all the Jewish people go, um, eh, but not today or tomorrow or next week, Tuesday. Okay, it's amazing. It's amazing um, what people can do uh, when they get stubborn. Yeah, I just remembered something else. I just wrote it down. Um, another fascinating lesson is the lesson that Hanani, Mishon, and Azariah got. Who were these three great people? So they lived after the destruction of the first temple when Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the first temple and taken the Jewish people into exile, into Babylonia. So like every country, there were Jews that rose to power. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone to come and bow down to his statue. He wanted leaders from every country to come. There were going to be thousands of people, and there were going to be a big bowing down um, uh, uh, ceremony, not cemetery, ceremony. So Hanan Mishon Azariah said, should we go or not? We can't bow down to the idol. So we don't, but if we don't go, he'll never even know. He sent out invitations. In his wildest dreams, everybody is showing up. There are going to be thousands of people bowing down to the statue. He's going to notice that we're not there. He's not going to notice. But maybe we should go anyways. Right? Maybe we should sanctify God's name and say, we don't bow down to the idol. Go right ahead and kill us. But maybe God doesn't want us to die. Like, how are you supposed to know what to do? So it says, Hanan Yerushal and Azariah learned from the frogs they should go. What did they learn from the frogs? So it says, very interesting. The frogs were given, I don't want to say jobs, they were, the frogs had to go all over the place. But in, included, included in going every place meant you're going into the beds, and you're going into the kneading bowls, and you're going into the food, and you're jumping on their heads, and you're on the floor, and you're in the streets. And some frogs had to jump in the oven. Now, the last thing a frog wants is jump in the oven. Frogs like, you know, wet, cold places. Um, hot fire is not what they want. And you had to assume if you're jumping into the fire, you're dying. So some frogs said, but God said, we, we got to jump into the fire. So some frogs jumped into the fires of the ovens. Happens to be what I told you before, that all the frogs died. It's not really true. Those frogs that jumped into the oven lived. They did not die in the oven. They actually made their way back to the river and they survived. So Hanani Rizwan Isaiah said, they didn't say, right, this is where the confusion is, they didn't say, we will sanctify God's name and we will allow Nebuchadnezzar to throw us into the fire and we're going to live like the frogs. Who says you're going to live like the frogs? You don't get to learn frogs who jumped in the fire live so I can jump in the fire and live. That's ridiculous. 
So what did they learn? They said that the frogs thought that if they jump in the fire, they're going to die. The other frog said, I'm not going to jump in the fire and I'm going to live. But you see, it's not true. So jumping into the fire or not jumping into the fire had nothing to do with living or dying. Living or dying is up to God. All you get to choose is, should I sanctify God's name? So Hanani Mishon Azariah said, just because we don't go and we think that we're going to live, and as we think we can choose live or die, so we're going to stay home. It's not true. All you get to choose is, do I sanctify God's name or do I not sanctify God's name? And then if we're going to live or die, that's God's choice. Happens to be they went, they didn't bow down, and they did not die in the fire, but they actually survived. Oh, but the music is playing. I hope you guys enjoy it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank the Wonder Production team. We have David in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.